You'll find our scripture reading this evening in the New Testament scriptures in Paul's letter to the Romans and the sixth chapter, the sixth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, and we'll commence our reading at verse 1. Romans chapter 6, and reading from the first verse, let us hear the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men, because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness." What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ending at the last verse of that sixth chapter, and we know that the Lord will add his own blessing to the reading of his word for Christ's sake. Amen. There are undoubtedly many, many texts of Scripture 
that we would be able to place in the category of what we might call the, the well-known or the very familiar. I think, for example, of that text that has been rightly called just a mini-Bible, John 3 and 16, that begins, For God so loved the world. That's a text that perhaps many of us know of by heart. It's a text that we may have seen up in various places, a glorious text of Scripture, well-known, well-loved by so many. Then we might think also of putting in the same category of the familiar or very well-known, perhaps the opening verse of the shepherd's psalm, Psalm 23, those words in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or that text that we find was uh, spoken to the jailer at Philippi, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I suggest to you that the text that I'm going to preach upon this evening is one that would be worthy of being included in that very same category of the familiar or well-known. We've been reading of it here in this sixth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. It's the very last verse of the chapter, verse 23, and it reads like this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A cursory glance at the text would surely bring to mind that <clears throat> here is a text that is uh, one of contrast. We have contrasts, very significant contrasts. We have the very stark contrast between death and life. When we look at it again, we find there's another contrast, and that's the contrast between wages and a gift. So we have got these pairs of contrasts in the text, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then if we were to examine the text just a little more closely, we would also find that not only is it a text of contrast, but it's a, a text where there are connections between the pairs of contrasts themselves. I mentioned the first contrast, death and life. And isn't there a connection between death and that of the second pair of contrasts, wages? Oh, there is a definite connection between death and wages, as I hope we'll see when we study the text further. And then there's also the connection between life in the first pair of contrasts that were mentioned and gift in the second pair. This is a, a text that is rich in every sense and in every way. And as you focus upon it, you see that this is a text that proclaims what the gospel is. Great tragedy today that there are many who do not really know what the gospel really is. But here is certainly one text, and I know there are so many others, but this is the one we're focusing upon this evening. This is a text that tells us so clearly what the gospel is. 
I can say more than that. It's a text that tells us why the gospel is needed and must be preached and must be proclaimed. And it's also a text that tells us how there is a great change that is effected when the gospel is proclaimed and heard and received and believed. And so as we come to consider this text this evening, I think we're going to just consider with you the wages of sin or the gift of grace. The wages of sin or the gift of grace. I want you to notice, first of all, the meaning of two words in particular. And if we can get the right meaning of these words, then I think the text is going to be one that will benefit our understanding even more. I think, first of all, of the word death. We need to understand the meaning of this word in this text. For the wages of sin is death. Do you know where we find death first referred to? Where it's first mentioned in the scriptures? It's over there in the the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And it's spoken of by, by God himself. This word death has several meanings in the scriptures. We find, for example, that it's describing the separation of the soul and the body. That's what happens when physical death occurs. There's a separation of soul and body. Like unto that which James speaks of in his little epistle in James chapter 2 and verse 26. And he put it like this, For as the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead also. So we find that this word can refer to physical death. But then we discover also that the word in Scripture can speak of spiritual death, spiritual death. Recall what Paul said when he was writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, and he was drawing a contrast as he wrote to them just contrasting what they once were when they were unsaved and what they then were saved by the grace of God. And when he was reminding them of what they once were, he was speaking about them being dead, not physically, but dead spiritually. He said, you remember you were, you were dead in or because of trespasses and sins. And so death there is speaking not of physical death, but it's speaking of spiritual death. Or, for example, we could think of that verse over in in John's Gospel, chapter 11 and verse 26, the the words of the Lord Jesus to, to Martha at the death of Lazarus. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Speaking there of spiritual death. So it can refer to spiritual death, but neither of these meanings that we have mentioned so far is the meaning in our text. Here in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is, is death. 
Ah, what is, what is the death that's spoken of here? What, what's the meaning of it? Well, we need to look at it in the context in which we find our text here in Romans chapter 6, because when we do so, we'll find that this word death in our text is really referring to, to an aspect of death that comes right at the very end of a life of sin. At the very end of having lived a life of sin. Look at the context. Verse 21 of Romans 6. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And that's the same kind of death as we have in our text in Romans 6 and verse, verse 23. It's speaking of death coming at the end of a very sinful and wicked and unrighteous and ungodly life that has been lived. It's what we find expressed in, in Romans chapter, chapter 8 and, and verse 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Ye shall, ye shall die. The wages of sin is death. This word death is described further in the last book of the Bible. The book of the Revelation. Revelation 20. Because we read there in that chapter of death. But it's described in this manner in verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So in other words, they, they experienced the second death. And that's the death that's being spoken of in our text here in Romans 6 and verse 23. It's separation from God forever. And Paul says here in this verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. You remember the words in Matthew 10, verse 28, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It's the place being referred to as, as outer darkness where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And we read concerning that in Revelation 14, verse 11, of those who are there and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. This is eternal death. And we're told that the wages of sin is death. It is eternal death. It is eternal, irreversible separation from God forever, when both soul and body will suffer the eternal conscious torment of those who are cast out from the Lord's presence into that place prepared for the devil and his angels. That's the meaning of this word. The wages of sin is death. And I want you to understand the meaning of another word. And it's the word life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
is eternal life. And just as the word death has several meanings in Scripture, so we find that the word life has several meanings in the Word of God. I think, for example, of what we read in the Savior's great high priestly prayer in John's Gospel, chapter 17, and verse 3, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So life here in this verse in John 17 is, is referring to having a, a saving knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we discover, too, that this word that's translated life, it, it can also speak of being a, a present possession. For example, in those words, he that, he that hath the Son hath, hath life. And here in our text, in verse 23 of Romans 6, the gift of God is eternal life. This is speaking of and referring to the indescribable blessedness of glory, the indescribable blessedness of heaven, of heaven. Oh, think of that for just a moment. Notice, notice this is in the text. There's a reference to heaven. We've already made mention of the reference to hell and eternal death, that irreversible separation from God forevermore. But here we've also got a reference to heaven. The gift of God is, is eternal life. If death in the text is the ultimate and final separation from God, eternal life is that which the Lord Jesus describes in John chapter 14 under the figure of the Father's house. You recall those words in John 14? In my Father's house are, are many mansions. Many mansions. That's a reference to heaven. That's a reference to the land of the blessed in glory. Heaven itself and Jesus Christ will receive believers into the most intimate communion with himself in heaven and that forevermore. And just as we went to the last book of the Bible when we were speaking about the word death, let, let me for a moment just go to that very same last book, the book of the Revelation, as we're thinking for a moment just about heaven. And I think of those words in Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 to 17. Let me just read them to you. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then listen. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. 
For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them onto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And then in another chapter, in that very same book of the Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, listen to what we read in verses 3 and 4. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. You see our destiny is either heaven or hell. It's either heaven or hell. What a contrast between heaven and hell. Well, that's the meaning of these, of these two words. But that brings us in the second place to speak to you about the means, the means of experiencing either this death or this life the means of experiencing it. The means of experiencing to death. Do you know what it is? It's by what you earn. That's why we've got the word wages in our text. When we think about our wage, maybe we think about what we've earned. And the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. And the means to experiencing this death is by what you earn. By what you earn. And the means of experiencing this life that's spoken of in our text is not by what you earn, but it's by what you're given and need to receive as a gift. You see, sin here, sin is likened to, to a paymaster. The wages of sin is death. And this paymaster pays exactly what has been earned. Pays exactly. No short change here. Those who are working in the service of sin those who are working in the service of sin, they receive payment for the work they've engaged in. And the wages, we're told, is death. And the means by which men and women receive death is the result of what they've earned. It's the result of what they've worked for. They receive death as their wages for their service, their service to sin. Ah, but that wasn't what was promised. That wasn't what was promised. These were not the wages promised when first entering into sin's employment. Far from it. 
you know, you know what's always promised? When you enter into sin's employment, I'll tell you what's always, always promised. Pleasure. Pleasure. And it's true that there is pleasure, but only for a season. Only for a season. You remember what we read concerning Moses, that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And you see the promise on the surface seems good. Promise of, of pleasure. But ah, when you read the fine print, don't we often hear that expression, oh well, there's some agreement has come to or there's some contract has been signed, but oh, you need to read the fine print. What is contained in the, in the fine print? Well, what is contained in the fine print here? Let me tell you what's contained in the fine print. Sin's pleasure for a season. And that's what's promised always when you enter into sin's employment. Sin's pleasure for a season will bring sin's damnation for eternity. That's the truth. That's the reality. Sin's pleasure is for a season, but the wages that it pays are for eternity. How deceitful. How deceiving that is. And there's a multitude who have been deceived thereby. Sin only ever promises fun and fulfillment never. Damnation and death. Oh, that's never mentioned. That's never referred to. Never referred to. So I must ask you this evening, are you in sin's employment? If you continue in sin's employment, I want you to know the wages that you'll get. If you repent not, if you turn not from that sinful way, that ungodly way, that unrighteous way, here is God's word, it's truth. The wages of sin is death. Death is the wages you're going to certainly, most certainly receive. So you see, the means to experiencing this is by what you earn. But then the means to experiencing life is by what you're given to receive as an undeserved gift. Listen, isn't that what the text says? The wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life. Think of that for a moment. The gift of God is eternal life. Think of the gift itself. This is something here that's gratuitous. It's, it's wholly undeserved. Wholly undeserved. Because it's all of grace. Well, what is grace? When we speak about grace, what do, what do we mean? What are we referring to? Grace is more than getting something that you haven't earned. Oh, that's included. That's included, but it's more than that. Grace is receiving the opposite of what you deserve.
the very opposite of what you deserve. And what do we all deserve? We all deserve hell. Why? Because we're all born sinners, every one of us. Preacher in the pulpit included. Born sinners. Shaping in iniquity. Transgressors, lawbreakers of God's holy law. And yet there is a gift. It's the gift of God's grace. You'll notice what it says there specifically in our text in verse 23. But the gift of God. This is, this is God's gift. Think on that for a moment. This is God's gift. Think on the giver. God himself receiving an undeserved gift. An undeserved gift by, by God. What God is Paul speaking of? The gift of God is eternal life. It's the God of whom we in Romans chapter 1, whose wrath is revealed from heaven. It's the God who judicially gives men over to their lusts and passions when they will not let even what nature teaches them regulate the exercise of those passions. In Romans 1, 24 and 25, it's the God who made man in his own image a creature of God to carry out his will and to have his life regulated by God's word and by God's law and by God's commandment. It's the God who holds man accountable in terms of his own law, in terms of his own word. He's the God of salvation who has revealed his salvation in Jesus Christ whom he gave to die on the cross at Calvary. He spared him not. This is the God of Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life. But how does he give this gift? Think of that for a moment. How does he give this gift? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. To express it another way, God gives this gift of eternal life to those who are in union with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus Christ? He is God manifest in flesh. He is the incarnate God he who is truly God, and yet he's perfect man. And you either take your earned and deserved wages, and death will be your portion forevermore, or you will receive this gift of God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, and eternal life will be your everlasting portion. 
You can only receive this as God gives it, and it is his gift to give in his grace. But that brings us then in the third and final place just to to speak to you about the message that has to come home to your heart tonight from these words in our text, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This life can only be received as a free gift. It cannot be yours any other way. It's not something that you can work for. It's not something that you're able to earn of yourself. This gift of eternal life is given in connection with Jesus Christ. And you'll notice how it's worded. The gift of God is eternal life in or through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when you see that name Jesus, it's to remind us that he is near to man because he is perfect man. And then when you see the title Christ, he's the anointed one of God, reminding us that he's near to God. So he is indeed the God-man. And it's coming to him, it's believing on him, it's trusting in him that you will receive God's gift in and through him. And it can only be received by faith. Why, why would you not receive it? Why would you reject it? Why would you turn away from it? Why would you spurn it? Why would you? Could you give a reason? Could you give a reason? Just one? You might offer an excuse, but you couldn't give a good reason for rejecting this gift, for spurning it, for refusing it, for turning away from it, from casting it aside. And yet we find that there's multitudes who stay in the service of sin. And staying in the service of sin, they're earning their wages, which is death. So you stay on in that pathway, you must know on the authority of God's word that you'll get what you've earned. And it will be death, it'll be separation from God forevermore. But you see, man has a natural pride of heart. Natural pride of heart. And he thinks, well, I'll, I'll make it on my own somehow. And if, if not, when it comes to it, God will somehow excuse my sin. And he'll, he'll bring me home to heaven. Think of what you would be saying if you were thinking like that. Why then would the Lord Jesus Christ have gone to the cross and suffered such ignominy and shame? Because he went to the cross for sinners like you and me. He died that death for sinners like you and me. 
He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, for sinners like us. And you think that you could belittle all of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus as if it was for nothing really, and God would let you in and overlook your sin? That could not possibly be. You see, there's a natural enmity in the heart of everyone outside of Jesus Christ, a natural enmity against God. And what's more, there's a natural blindness because sin has, sin has put out our spiritual eyes that we can't really see and we've got a darkened understanding. And yet, here is the light of the glorious gospel that's shining forth from the page of Holy Writ this evening and shining into your heart to show you the one way of salvation and the only way to heaven and how you can receive eternal life. It's impossible for you to work and receive eternal life based on what you've done. That would be to say that salvation is of works. Salvation is not of works. I care not what work you may think is good in your eyes or what works. Even the best of works are unclean and unrighteous in the sight of a holy God. And just remember, just remember this, that God can only accept God can only accept that which is perfect. Let that sink into your heart tonight. God will only accept that which is perfect. That's why you can only come to God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everything that Jesus Christ did was perfect. He lived a perfect life. And he lived that perfect life for you and for me. And he lived that life as our representative and as our substitute because what he was doing was taking our place. And he was obedient in every detail to the Father's law and to the Father's commandment. And he has wrought a perfect righteousness by his perfect obedience. And that means that everyone who comes and believes on him, do you know what God does? He imputes or he reckons the perfect righteousness of Christ and he puts it to the sinner's account as if it were the sinner's. And God declares that sinner just and righteous according to his holy law in Christ Jesus. So that's why we read, for the gift of God is eternal life. Only through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you must come to him. Will you? Will you come tonight? Will you receive him? Will you believe on him? Will you make him yours?
you're commanded to do so. And who commands you? The Lord himself. Heed that command. Come and repent of your sin and believe on Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, in our Savior's name we come to Thee, thanking Thee for Thy Word and for this blessed text of Scripture telling us about the wages of sin that is death. And yet, in the great contrast, the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. O oh, we ask that thou wilt bless thy word to hearts. Grant that for any here without the Savior, that they might see and fully understand that they're earning the wages of sin outside of Jesus Christ, which is death. But, oh, we ask that thou wilt enable them to see and comprehend that there is the gift of God, and it can only be received by faith, by coming to trust in the Savior of sinners. Oh, take thy word tonight and write it upon every heart, and grant that there will be those who will come those who will believe on Jesus Christ and be saved. We ask in his name and for his sake. Amen.